And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. 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 If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 163 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 11.04 a.m. on Sunday, October 13th, 2019. Here, joining me for this episode i have michael schwartz i'm back and hopefully better than ever josh parham hello hello casey lee clark hello and tom o'brien hi everybody hello everyone hello hello all right so a weekly check-in here uh for myself uh my film festival experience for 2019 is officially over i have no more uh film festivals to attend Uh, so i'm Pretty, pretty excited to get some sleep back in my life uh, once again. Uh, NYFF wrapped up. I just got back from the Hamptons uh, Film Festival. And, uh, you know, I had my first experience this year at Telluride, as you all know. And it, it was it was great. You know, it was a lot of fun. I, I don't envy the person that goes, like, from Telluride to TIFF to this to that and, like, just tries to hit everything. It's, 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 a, it's a lot, <laughs> you know, after a while. But... I want to kind of uh, just start us off by asking the question that I always tend to ask, uh, which is, what did we all catch up on this week? Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's uh, frequently uh, coming out. Um, there's some platform releases. Some of us are seeing things a little early. So why don't we just check in and see what everybody has been up to? Let's start us off with uh, Casey Lee Clark. I'm pretty boring this week because I didn't get to a movie theater uh, every time I was off and I was like, maybe you're going to see Joker. I was like, ah. So I'm seeing that today. Okay. Um, and then Thursday, the film festival here in Philadelphia starts. So I will be seeing more movies than I know what to do with. So I'm enjoying my sc- no screens, uh, dark theater moments for a little bit before I'm nice. no longer being able to function. So Okay. Well, hey, we're really, really excited for you. I'm excited for you to just catch up on certain movies that, uh, you know, um, everyone else uh, seems to be talking about. Like, I mean... You're going to be catching up on what, like Marriage Story and uh, a lot of the big ones. Yeah, um, I'm most excited for like Marriage Story. We're so they're showing Parasite the first night, even though it opens here the following weekend. Um, I think just as like a big like welcoming kind of a thing. Um, I know that Ryan Johnson's going to be at the closing night of Knives Out, so I'm very excited about that. And yeah, I'm seeing a lot of bunch of stuff, the big stuff, a lot of smaller international things. So that'll be really fun. Okay, really, really awesome. That's great to hear. I'm really, really excited for you. Uh, Tom, what about you? Did you catch up on anything this week? I got up, uh, caught up on uh, two big ones. I saw uh, Edward Norton's Motherless Brooklyn. And it's a, it's a big, chewy movie of uh, <laughs> big city corruption. Uh, he, I know this has been a dream project of his. And, and, and he's, he, he, brings, he brings it credibly to the screen. It's uh, I'm very happy he put it back in the 1950s. The period stuff really works well. Uh, it's a bit too long. It's two hours and 20 minutes plus. 
but there's a lot of novel to pack into. And, and ironically, at the same time, a lot of the characters are underdeveloped, uh, despite even that link, because there are so many characters in this. But the strength that he brings to it is uh, l- largely due to his great casting. He has got a murderer's row of supporting actors on the bench, and they all deliver. Gugu mabatha Bobby Calavani, Bruce Willis, Cherry Jones, Alec Baldwin, Willem Dafoe, and Michael K. Williams. And, uh, geez, you, you know, it's hard to find a better uh, ensemble than that. And they are all terrific, especially Baldwin, which really surprised me because he can do, you know, evil authoritarian figures in his sleep. But he brings something new to the table here. And Norton gives him a great monologue near the end of the film. Um, he's really good and very, you know, it was a nice surprise. Uh, definitely worth a look. Uh, but, um, it's, uh, it's a kind of a mixed bag, yeah. but, uh, the good stuff is terrific. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about it too. In the sense of like, I, I like the fact that it's a pure noir movie and I feel like yes. those are just so, so rare. So to watch anything that just like harkens back to like Chinatown or, uh, things of that nature, it just feels, it feels good, you know, to, uh, kind of dip your toe back into that genre again. So I appreciate it for that. I just found it to be, like you said, though, like a little messy, a little inconsistent. And I I thought Edward Norton was really good when he wasn't doing the uh, Tourette syndrome stuff. Um, When he's just basically playing like the smartest guy in the room or he's being very uh, tender uh, in scenes with like Gugu Mbafum Ra, for example, that's where I feel like he really excels. But otherwise, you just can't help but feel like it's a pure vanity project coming from the guy, you know? It's tough, you know, especially with him being in the main role and the main role being kind of flashy. Uh, the you know, I'm always a little uncomfortable seeing um, able bodied actors playing people with disabilities. Um, but uh, he once you get past the Tourette's, I, mean, I kind of get used to it after a while. It stopped being, you know, kind of flashy. But I was really wishing he had far more scenes as uh, uh, the character rather than the Tourette's. Figure. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? And I also saw uh, Pedro Almodovar's Pain. Nice. Nice. Josh Parham, you saw it too, right? I did, yeah. All right. So are, are we two for two on the win, win column here? or I, thought yeah, it was I really like. I really enjoyed it, it yes. It's, it's his best work in years. Ah, and nice. You can really tell that it's personal. Uh, I th- I'd probably have to go back to Volver to find a, a Almodovar movie that's as good and i think this one's even better than that josh and i were talking uh about the final shot of the film which we won't spoil here but i think it might be my fight my favorite shot of any movie this year it's breathtaking yeah that final shot is so so good and what i loved most about it and again we're not going to talk about it specifically but just it managed to recontextualize the entire movie for me and i saw it in a completely different context that made it so much more richer and oh it's just so amazing i really really did love that agreed um the only thing that i'm a little still hesitant on is uh antonio Banderas's performance for me was a lot more subdued than i was expecting and i understand the narrative push to get him his first oscar nomination you know he's worked in the industry forever um he's very well respected this just feels like the right role the right time uh for it to happen but I, I don't think he's bad or anything like that necessarily. The, just the performance didn't have the wow factor for me personally. Did did it have it for you guys? Um, I, I I found myself respecting the, the the fact that he decided to go more interior 
and I think it's a richer performance for that, but it will probably harm his chances in what is turning out to be a very tough best actor field. So I'm, I'm, it didn't have that Oscar moment, just talking awards for a second, that uh, would play really well on a uh, on a clip during the telecast. Uh, I, I have him currently in sixth, but I'm not quite sure he'll go any higher because I was not wowed either, I, but I really respect the performance. Yeah, it's not the type of performance that's really big and grandiose. It is very much internal, but... I think that there are actors that do respond to that, that do really appreciate that kind of work, and especially people that appreciate the collaboration between Banderas and Almodovar throughout all the years. So I would still say that he is in a good spot to get nominated, especially because he has the narrative. But I do agree with you that when you first watch it, you're not like bowed, bowed over by all these big grand spectacle, but there is still great... Uh, work going on at the same time. With that said, uh, Josh, should we uh, transition to you? Uh, yeah, well, I, I did see Pain and Glory, which I did think was really, really good, especially that last shot. The, but the whole movie really is just beautiful, and the story is great. And I would actually say the entire cast is really good, too, not just Banderas. He's definitely the focal point, but everybody in that cast is really, really on top of their game. So if you have a chance to see it, I would highly recommend it. Um, and the only other film I really saw was Gemini Man, which we did a review of. And I didn't hate it, but it's definitely very flawed. The script is really bad, but it has some potential to be more interesting, but never really gets there. So it, I was very mixed on it personally. Um, but that's really only the only things I saw because I'm also gearing up for my own film festival in Chicago, which will occupy a lot of my time coming up. Yeah, really, really excited for you as well to catch up on some of the big titles. Uh, Michael, uh, transitioning over uh, to yourself now, uh, Jewish holidays uh, the, the last uh, week or so. So I know that you were uh, quite busy. Did you find time to get to the theater to see anything now? Uh, yeah, you know, it's been about a month since I was last on the podcast, and in that time, I've caught up with four movies in the theater, uh, two of which I really liked. They were Downton Abbey and Ad Astra, one which I really didn't like, that was Judy, and one which is right in the middle, leaning a lot more toward like for all the good qualities of it. That is Joker, which I'm not going to go into all the details right now, but uh, a lot I really like about it, a lot I really didn't like about it. So that's really right in the middle there. So a month, four movies... Uh, I would say two and a half worth catching up with. Okay. And I look forward to everything else coming up ahead. I know Casey mentioned the Philadelphia Film Festival. I'll be seeing Marriage Story there next week, which I'm very much looking forward to. Might add another title or two if the week allows it, but uh, the Noah Bumbuck movie is what I'm really looking forward to most this fall. Okay, so I'm going to go out of order here a little bit. Um, I saw Gemini Man uh, podcast review, like Josh said. Um, all of our thoughts on the high frame rate technology, uh, Ang Lee and everything else is all on there. So you can feel free to check out that. Um, at the Hamptons uh, Film Festival yesterday night, um, I saw Knives Out, Ryan Johnson's Who Done It, And it is one of my favorite films of the year. I think it is clever. I think it's sharp. I, I think it's uh, endlessly entertaining. It's hilarious. Uh, the performances are campy, but yet at the same time, so well uh, drawn in terms of um, character and um, the actors you could just tell are having such a blast. The way that Johnson like kind of just tells the story visually and has uh, characters like 
you know, recant exactly like what happened from their point of view and how he showcases all of this. It's like this amazing puzzle that you don't really quite know how it's all going to fit together in the end. And it, it does. And I, I don't know if a repeat viewing would diminish that once you kind of know all the twists heading in, but I do think that the uh, performances from everybody in the cast, because um, everybody in this cast is just like so much fun. They're so deliciously fun in this, <laughs> especially Daniel Craig, who is just like hamming it up in a way that I just found to be just so like... I, I, I don't know. Like, you know, he kind of sounds like Frank Underwood a little bit from like House of Cards at times. But like if Frank Underwood was, I don't know, entertaining and funny <laughs> and not like dark all the time. So I, I don't know. It's it, it's a really, really good time at the movies. And um, I know a lot of people were asking me, like, what is its Oscar potential as a result of that? And I mean, if, on a prospects uh, standpoint, I would probably say editing, production design, because the house is just like, whoa, um, that house is ridiculous. And uh, screenplay uh, for Johnson, although admittedly, I'm not quite ready to predict any of those yet. Um, I do think it is going to be uh, one of those movies where um, everybody likes it, they love it, uh, but I it just does I, I I don't know if I see it panning out quite yet. Um, and the other thing too, one last thing I want to just say is that I think what elevated the movie um, mostly more so than anything is the fact that it actually has something to say in terms of social commentary. Which um, I knew going in, I didn't know in what context and how it was going to be done, but I really, really applaud uh, Ryan Johnson for adding that to it because I do believe it kind of kicks things up a notch from just being an entertaining movie to also an entertaining movie that has something to say. So, all right. uh, After that, um, I saw Just Mercy, which gave me my biggest ugly cry of the year uh, next to Waves. (laughs) Um, I was a complete mess by the end of this movie. Uh, Jamie Foxx, I think, is the real deal. Um, I think it's uh, top three, top two, I don't know, but like best performances the guy has ever given. Um, so I would definitely say he needs to be in that supporting actor conversation no matter what, 100%. I could see a world where on its best day, this movie gets in for picture, screenplay, and Jamie Foxx. But I think that's it. So for now, I have it just in for Jamie Foxx. And I think part of that is because, like, we've seen this movie before. We've all, like, seen this story, okay? Uh, The lawyer trying to help the guy that's on death row and clear his name and so on and so forth. But the fact that my entire audience was just a sobbing mess by the end of this and huge applause at the end, you know, rarely do we see this kind of movie done this well, So I would say that from that standpoint, um, keep it on the radar uh, because people might really emotionally respond to it in a very, very positive way. Um, It definitely has that power. And my God, what a supporting cast in this one. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson, Rob Morgan, and Jamie Foxx, just the the, the supporting cast of those three guys in particular, they have these Mm. incredible scenes and really great monologues and just tremendous amount of character work that is done that you know it, it god bless michael b jordan he's playing like the straight guy in this who doesn't have the flashy performance against those other characters in this and he does a really great job as well just with his dignity his confidence and the way he just carries himself throughout the movie but 
man, oh man, this supporting cast just knocks it out of the park in a really, really major way. Um, so yeah, yeah, really, really good. Definitely recommend. Um, and like I said, if you want a good ugly cry, bring the tissues with you. It will definitely do it to you, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that that's definitely one I've been keeping an eye on, uh, especially for how it will play this award season, because it does really feel like that type of movie that, you know, maybe critics are like, they give respectable reviews to, but are just like, yeah, it's good. But then it just hits an audience that really responds to it. And, and then, yeah, picture, supporting actor, screenplay, that really feels like something very doable for that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I could see it happening. I definitely could. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Okay, and now uh, for a transition. Uh, so... NYFF had my last week there, Hamptons and so on and so forth. So I caught up on a lot of foreign language film contenders for the International Feature Film Oscar this year. And um, a couple that I caught up with, I I saw The Traitor, which was Italy's submission over Martin Eden, which I also saw. Um, I liked Martin Eden more than The Traitor, um, and I kind of wish that it was reversed now. But both are like, like The Traitor is like your typical like Italian like mobster like gangster film but it doesn't it, i don't know it's like missing like a good half an hour it feels like it should have been a mini series to be honest with you that story's way too big mm. martin Eden, uh, I, I i highly recommend josh casey you know tom if you guys catch it at any uh, festivals or any screenings in the area um michael i don't think that movie will play anywhere near you <laughs> no offense <laughs> but um you know if you guys happen to catch that i really do recommend it for its uh cinematography and the lead the lead performance in it is just amazing as well um okay so then uh we have the whistlers which was good not great uh i really like netflix's film atlantics i have to say i'm excited about that yeah yeah i know there's been a lot of talk about that yeah i'll be seeing that that was really interesting it was a coming of age movie it was a ghost story it was a love story it was a commentary on class divide which seems to be a big theme this year i've noticed in movies (laughs) Uh, so it was a lot of things all at once. And because it operated on so many levels, I just found it to be so uh, endlessly fascinating in that regard. Um, saw Beanpole, uh, Russia's submission this year, which really surprised me uh, in many, many ways, because uh, from what I understand, um, they're not allowed to have LGBTQ themes in their movies. From what I have heard, and this had it in there, but like in a very subtextual sort of way. Um, so I don't know how they necessarily got away with that. Well, I feel like, um, the, the, whatever board in Russia that oversees their movies, I think is often at odds with the government a lot of the times, because I remember that I wasn't like Leviathan, a movie that had a lot of like anti-government themes in Mm -hmm. it. And that was a representative. So I feel like there are always at odds between what the government wants and whatever film board in Russia oversees and pushes to be representative for the world out there. The, the Beanpole, though, is like, I will admit, it is one of those foreign language films that it, it has a very slow and crushing like weight of emotion and anguish in it. That, oh, so it's a Russian. Yeah, 
<laughs> it just really like it really weighed on me a lot. I was like, oh, this is heavy. This is really heavy stuff, you know, and um, it's not a pleasant watch in that regard. Um, but I think it's shot very well. I think the performances are just amazing in this one uh, from the two leads in it. Um, really, really good. I, I think it has a really good shot to be nominated. And um, last but not least, um, I saw uh, Francis' submission over Portrait of a Lady on Fire for the Best International Feature Film. Uh, I saw Les Miserables. And this is like, okay, so you guys, you've all seen Training Day, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rookie cop comes in under more experienced cop. They patrol the streets. It takes place over a, sing- over a single day. That is basically what this movie is. It's a cop who ends up um, getting assigned to Visa, to other two guys, and they're in normal street clothes, and they're patrolling the streets of France. And it's like, it, it takes place over the course of a single day, and it is just riveting i mean like this movie is kinetic it feels urgent it has vibrancy the the music creates like this incredible amount of tension in it um the harassment that's committed by uh the police is uh you know really really tense to watch as it comes into uh uh contact with the people on the streets and i mean the whole um, idea of like why is why it's called Les Miserables, and it, believe me, there's no musical sequences in this movie, um, but it yeah. borrows the themes from Victor Hugo's uh, book, um, and there is a revolution that uh, is taking place in that um, that is going to be led by the youth essentially, and it's about um, that uh, ultimately in the end. And I I I, th- I I gotta say I I was thoroughly entertained by it. Very, very much so. I love Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I really do. But I can understand why this was chosen over it. Um, it's the – we talked about this on our uh, Carol review. It's the George Miller versus Todd Haynes uh, you know, argument for Best Director in 2015. One is just more in-your-face, visceral, hey, look at me. The other one is very subdued. And I, 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 think in that, I think in that case, I think that's why this one was probably chosen, if I had to take a guess. It seems, I see it seems in about like a, a great, yeah. It seems like a very brave choice. I mean, because Portrait of the Lady seems so, so t- in the, the Academy's wheelhouse kind of thing. It, it would almost seem like a lazy choice. It looks like they're really taking a chance with Lady Zerab, and I'm delighted to hear that it's uh, as riveting as it is. Yeah. Um, what I want to do now is this, and in terms of just like riveting, uh, the, the news this week, uh, this weekend actually for Parasite, Michael. Tell us what happened with Parasite at the box office this weekend, uh, because they released in three theaters, two in New York, one in L.A., and holy cow. Yeah, I want to get the numbers here just to have everything current. The box office report was just released as we're recording this. So let me just pull this up. Give me one moment here. For a little bit of context while Michael is just pulling that up. Every single showing of Parasite from the time the theaters opened to the time they, they closed were sold out this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. And they kept adding shows in the morning, you know, breakfast shows and then post-midnight shows, and those would sell out in a second. Oh, here we go. Here's some news uh, from Deadline. I'm just going to read the paragraph. Bong Joon-ho's Ken Palmdor winner Parasite at New York's IFC Center in LA's landmark in Arc Like Hollywood, posted the best screen opening average of the year to date, with 125,000 and the best for uh, the best ever for a foreign language movie off a three day of 376,000. 
give you a sense Jeez. of the cash power uh, of the figure hose the host opened at 71 theaters back in March 2007 and made 314,000. That's amazing. So this yeah. did 376 on three screens. Mm. That's amazing. Absolutely incredible. I, I mean, like, I applaud um, everyone. <laughs> Bong Joon-ho, Neon, the cast, the crew, and also the hashtag Bong Hive. Uh, everyone on social media that drew up interest for this movie because... Yeah, I, I, guys, I, I mean, I've made no I've made no secret about this. It's my number one favorite film of the year, and I will be completely stunned if anything dethrones it at this point. I think it's one of the best films of the decade, personally, as well. I am just completely enamored by this movie. And uh, that's another thing, too, in regards to um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire kind of being out of the international feature um, race right now, is that Neon just now has to just focus on Parasite. And my God, do they, does it feel like... They just have a smooth sailing ship all the way to the podium on Oscar night for this one. I, I, I cannot see a world where this does not make it for South Korea. It's yeah, pretty incredible. Like, yeah, you I know, feel like it's did. like this and that's it. Like it's so I'm like the word of mouth is just so good, but not even in a way where it's just like this is the only movie people are talking about and it's only going to, you know, cause it problems. I think it's just one. Everybody's like, yeah, this is great. Like. And, and and prior to this, I mean, I think most of us predicted Bong would would could get a Oscar nomination for best director. Now I'm hearing now that people are seeing it that he can win. That would be. I mean, let let let's let's pl- let's pl- talk through this for a minute here, actually, because. Um, I think this is very interesting uh, where things are currently heading. I know a lot of people have talked for a long time about like, oh, this new academy, this new academy, this, this new academy, that, and what they would do. And I feel like what we have started to see uh, over the last couple of years, we have started to see more of an embrace of international world cinema. And uh, last year of Roma, obviously Alfonso Cuaron is a name, right? A very big name. He's worked in some pretty major uh, Hollywood films before. He had an Oscar already. Had an Oscar already, exactly. Bong Joon-ho, I would argue, is uh, almost as big as a, of a name as Alfonso Cuaron. Obviously, this is, I think, more so like, uh, instead of this being like Bong's Roma, this is like Bong, Bong's, um, you know, gravity. Like, it's like his um, coronation, so to speak, with the Academy, I feel like, in many ways. Um, and this is what will like elevate him to that A-list status um, if people didn't already perceive that he was already there already. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, I think that this is going to get picture, director, international, and screenplay. It's pretty yeah. incredible. And I really can't speak to it having not seen the movie yet. I don't even know what the movie's about. I've really stayed away from everything. So I don't, I don't know, know what it's if about this either. Is something Ooh. that Ooh. could win Best Picture, or I mean, I think I have it as a nominee just because everyone seems to be talking about how much they love it. So I'd like to reassess once I finally see it in the next couple of weeks. But if the buzz is as loud as it is right now, maybe it can creep its way into the top tier. So I, I have been hearing a lot of people, yeah, to Tom's point, talk about how Bong Joon-ho might actually win Best Director for this movie. Um, there was even uh, something that was put out there about how if Parasite were to hypothetically get a Best Picture nomination and also win Best Picture, that would almost come across as a FU from the Academy to Netflix uh, for Roma last mm-hmm. year to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I buy that, you know, happening necessarily. Um 
But what I can buy is I can buy um, this narrative of this movie getting uh, all these nominations being and being a, a consensus favorite in so many ways because, uh, Tom, I mean, maybe you can tell me or anyone can tell me for that matter. Have you guys encountered a single person who has had anything negative to say about Parasite? I haven't encountered anyone who even has any kind of criticism of it at all. It, it, it's sort of people... It, I, I think part of it at this point is that people don't know what it's about and they go in cold. And if please uh, to our listeners, stay away from anybody who tries to tell you the plot of this, because a part of it is the surprise. And uh, it's, you know, it's not a secret surprise like the sixth sense or something like that, but you just have no idea where this picture is going, but it's so assured that you settle back in, on, okay, take me for the ride, and he does. There's like a playfulness in the way that Bong uh, like kind of has sequences play out in its relationship to the audience. So I, I, I like, to, I think that there is a couple of moments where he, as a director, is like winking at us, you know, giving us those subtle hints, um, introducing stuff in the screenplay that will pay off later. You know, there's a lot of really, really intricate stuff happening in this movie that makes it feel very lively and dynamic and with a lot of moving parts, but always very, very simple at the same time. And it always comes down to um, these very, very human elements that are extremely relatable. Um, I, 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 I got to say, I'm not ready to declare that this could win picture, director, literally anything outside of international film. But let's just let's just say hypothetically, let's say 1917's got its fans. Marriage Story has its fans. Irishman has its fans. Once Upon a Time in, uh, in, in I was going to say America and Hollywood has its fans. <laughs> you know, all these movies have their fans. But then each one also has like some dissenters here and there. Not many, not many, a little bit, you know, here and there. But Parasite has none. Well, I think I would just maybe say that I yes, I would agree with you that it doesn't seem like Parasite has any detractors, but I also feel like it doesn't have any detractors in the film Twitter world that we're in. And I do wonder if maybe, you know, it just is a bit of an echo chamber when it comes to Parasite. I'm sure that movie will still be very well respected and people will like it, but I also feel like we are kind of just talking with each other about how much people really like the movie and I'm Curious to see what happens when it is available for everybody to see. That's a question I'd like to see answered. Okay. All right. Uh, wait, wait, before we continue on, I just want to say really quickly regarding the box office this weekend, Parasite had that amazing opening that we just talked about. But continuing on the Oscar front, Joker had a second weekend that was downright incredible. It did $55 million this weekend. Holy cow. Oh, wow. Yeah. It only Your dropped about weekend. 40%. Uh, let me just let me think about this for a second. So that means that movie's probably heading for north of three hundred million domestic. Then I would think so. It's about to hit five hundred worldwide. I know we talked about this a little bit, um, but I, I just want to like say for the record, um, I know a lot of people are dismissing Joker because they just don't like it. They're trying to say it has nothing to say. It's hollow and you know nothing original and so on and so forth and everything. I hate to admit it for those people out there, but. I don't think this movie is going away this season. I think it's definitely Joaquin and everything else is sort of rising up. You know, it could it's I think it's much better than Bohemian Rhapsody, but I think it's sort of 
uh, filling that. It's a similar movie. situation, yeah. Where I think like a lot of us were maybe in denial uh, who didn't like that movie early on. I mean, I know I was one of them. And then just after a while, after the nominations it kept getting, it was like, crap, like this is really happening, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it's like with Bohemian Rhapsody, I was sort of bored watching it. It's like, okay, here's another beat. I see everything coming. With Joker, I enjoyed watching it. I don't want to say enjoy because it's not like a fun. No, no, no. I, I know, I, I know I what like, you mean now. <laughs> no, I liked seeing it, and then after I left, there were things that I was thinking about, like Joaquin's performance, which is undeniable, the production design, the cinematography, the score. There's so much to like as you're watching it, but then when you really think about it afterwards, it's like, oh, that was a little empty. But other other people do love it, so I really think we need to keep an eye on this in some top tier categories now. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, a 55 million second weekend is pretty remarkable. Agreed. That did great. Uh, Gemini Man did not do so well. That's a 20 million this weekend. And uh, not that anyone really cares, but Adam's family overperformed with 30 million. I mean, you know, the reviews are not strong enough to have that necessarily contend an animated feature. I think that that's just, hey, let's bring the kids to see something, you know, sort of thing that we see all the time with that field, you know. Um, but kind of transitioning over then to animated feature, um, I do want to discuss that uh, category here for a little bit because it's been a while since we kind of revisited this since the summer when Lion King and Toy Story uh, came out. And yes, I am still mentioning Lion King because uh, <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> admittedly. Uh, so who knows? But I'm just curious, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are predicting Frozen 2. And we haven't seen it yet. And I just want to get everyone's gauge right now on just where things currently stand with Frozen 2. We did get a second trailer. We have kind of a better idea of what the story is going to be about to a certain extent. And just where are our minds at with Best Animated Feature as of today? I feel like the internet as a whole sort of had like collective amnesia regarding Toy Story 4 when it really still is one of the best-reviewed films of the year, and people loved it. It's actually the highest-grossing Toy Story film out of the entire franchise. And people sort of treat it, I think, like this, you know, unnecessary addition. But I I think that's our front-runner, unless Frozen 2 proves to be so incredibly remarkable. Yeah, I agree with you, Michael. You know, under the old system of voting, I would argue that this could be a year where uh, one of the G-Kids movies or um, something like, you know, like Weathering with You, for example, uh, could rise up in, in like a split or whatever it might be, just because it doesn't seem to be so much of a consensus. It almost seems like with this year's animated feature race, there isn't really a passion pick. It's just more of a, all right, let's just choose this one, you know, sort of a feeling to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's never going to happen with having the Academy as a whole. Correct. Uh, exactly. So in that regard, I, I think Toy Story 4 is still sitting pretty pretty at the moment. But Frozen <laughs> 2, I mean... If it's great. Every parent on the face of the planet is going to bring their kids to see this yeah, movie. It it has a much better awards date for it, uh, as opposed to Toy Story, which was the summer, and How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World, um, which is really one of my favorite of, of this category, uh, was way back in February. Um, so it's, uh, it, you know, Frozen 2 has that advantage if it's any good. I have to say, I'm a little, I'm a bit of a heretic. I didn't think Frozen One was all that good, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wary about this one. But we shall see. The thing about Frozen Two is that it has the expectations now. With the original Frozen six years ago, you know, I loved it. 
But the thing is, going into it, people didn't know it was going to be some big sensation. They just thought it was like a little Disney holiday movie. We had no idea it was going to explode the way that it did. So now six years later, it's become the biggest thing. People have expectations going into this one. So we'll see if it lives up to it. Whereas Toy Story 4, I know some people felt it might be unnecessary, but I think we all walked in knowing it was at least going to be very good. I agree with you on that. Um, A part of me is wondering if there is a, um, it's not my favorite of the franchise, but I'm wondering if there might be any kind of a rallying behind uh, How to Train Your Dragon to Hidden World to kind of just reward the franchise with the final film, Uh, air quotes, you know, final film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does anyone does anyone feel that way at all? I, I don't think there's passion there. I think it's just lucky to get the nomination. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's a good. I think it's perfectly fine for a nomination. I don't think I don't see it winning personally. I think uh, I, this franchise has been so consistently good that I, it's a shame it's not gonna, it will not walk away with any Oscars. But uh, gosh, I mean, kudos to the whole troop over there, and they they did a great great series. Josh Parham, I want to call attention to uh, one of your predicted nominees right now. You're the only one that has this in there. Sean the Sheep movie, Farmageddon. Uh, that was a thing. Well, I mean, it. Sean the Sheep, the first one, did get nominated. And they generally like Ardman in that, uh, in that branch. They generally like stop motion movies, to be honest with you. And I just think that's one that I'm keeping an eye out on, especially since the first Shaun the Sheep did well. It was a good movie, too. So I just think that's one that I saw it pop up and it's like, yeah, it seems like something that could happen. I'm like genuinely stunned here because I saw the first Shaun the Sheep and really enjoyed it. I didn't even know the sequel was a thing until just now. Yep. Oh, my God. Yep. (laughs) I have to see this. When's this opening? Is it coming out in time for Oscars? I thought it was. Yep. Let's see. Oh, my God. December 13th, 2019. Wow. Yep. Look at that. Oh, it opens this weekend in the UK. (laughs) This is like, oh, my God. Buy a plane ticket, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) I I would love to see them come back. They had Early Man last year, which is the first Ardman movie I skipped just because I wasn't so interested in it. But going all the way back to like Chicken Run and Wallace and Gromit, they really put out good content. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I would keep an eye out on that one. Uh, another thing that I would also look out for is that Netflix does have a couple movies in contention as well. Um, one of them is a, a Santa Claus movie, Klaus, that they just debuted a trailer for, actually. Yep. And then another, like, really experimental one, what's it called? I Lost My Body. Yeah, that's the one I'm currently predicting right now at the moment. Yeah, I I would think those two would be things to also look out for. I mean, you know, with Netflix having contenders in feature documentary, which we'll get to a little later, uh, foreign with Atlantics and even animation, um, it's very, very possible that they could have nominations in all of the film categories this year. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past them. No. Uh, what I want to do is I do want to transition over uh, to talk about a trailer for an, another animated film that will be coming out in the spring of 2020. This one is uh, from our good friends over at Pixar Animation Studios. It is called Onward, and it stars Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, Julie Louis Dreyfus, and Octavia Spencer. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. In times of old, the world was full of wonder and magic. But times change. I'm a mighty warrior! 
Morning, Mom. Hey, birthday boy. By the laws of yore, I must dub thee a man today. Kneel before me. That's okay. I have a gift from your dad. He just said to give you this when you were both over 16. <gasps> no way! It's a wizard staff. Dad was a wizard. What? Your dad was an accountant. This spell brings him back. For one whole day, Dad will be back. What? Back like back to life? That's not possible. It is with this. I'm going to meet Dad. to bring the rest of him back. Until then, ta-da! Oh, that's great! Dad, you look just like I remember. <laughs> you got a problem, Shane? We have a full tank. No, that doesn't work. Growth spell! We grow the can, and then the gas inside will grow with it. Elbows up. I'm trying to focus here. Focus. Focus. Holy oh, it. it worked! The can is huge! And the van is huge! And you're... Oh, no. You saw the first trailer for this back in, I would say, late spring, early summer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it looked fine. It didn't tell us very much, but it just sort of built up this world. And it was a teaser in all the right ways. Right. So now that we have this one, it, it gives us an idea of what the movie is and what the plot is and who these characters are. I am very much looking forward to this. It looks like Pixar in all the best ways. Michael, I am not looking forward to this. And this is the first time in a long time that I'm completely disinterested in a Pixar movie. I can see where okay. you're coming from with that. It doesn't look like a Pixar movie. It doesn't. No. 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 And it, there's there's kind of a bro element to it that I didn't like at all. Yeah. The only thing that I'm like kind of excited about is I like when Pixar does these types of non-human like worlds, like like a Monsters Inc. type of thing of this like world building with it. And I find that element of it interesting. But there was other things like the animation style I wasn't crazy about. And just like, yeah, some of the like broiness of it that felt, I don't want to say DreamWorksy as like a negative thing, but not what I'm used to with Pixar, I guess I should say. I am intrigued by this being a fairy tale world uh, that is populated by like all these different types of creatures um, because it does kind of remind me a little bit of um, like things like Shrek, for example. And I think that there is room to do some really clever uh, jokes in there as a result. I think it's going to fly over kids' heads probably, maybe a little too much. Um, I, I, like, I don't know, just the, the visual style of this movie. Um, I'm looking at these characters and I'm like, they look like Smurfs, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I just, I just, yeah, I think that's the thing I just keep kind of coming back to is that 
stylistically, the way the trailer is cut, the way it's animated, and so on and so forth, this does not look like the strong Pixar storytelling that I'm very familiar with. It's, it's directed by Dan Scanlon, who uh, directed Monsters University for Pixar. And I know not everyone loves Monsters University. I thought it was a fantastic comedy in its own right. Maybe not on the level of Monsters Incorporated, but I really liked what he had to bring to the table there. And as for this, look, it's just one trailer that we're talking about. But, you know, the whole element of it looks like carrying on a parent's legacy and, you know, that whole element of working with half of the father's body. It's like, you know, weekend at Bernie's with substance. <laughs> let's, just, let's just put it this way. All right. Between Onward, uh, which is coming out in March, and Soul, which is directed by, God bless the man, the myth, the legend, Pete Doctor, in June. That's going to be their big Exactly. Like, why? Yeah. Like, so it's like immediately right off the bat, it's like, how can you expect me to get excited about this when three months later you're going to have Soul release? And we already know on pedigree alone that that's probably the big one. Which is probably why it got a spring release. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I just think that it just shows maybe lack of confidence. And, you know, that's just not helping my perception with it at that point. Not not to mention, um, oh, I just have feelings towards Chris Pratt nowadays. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> well, re- regardless, you know, this is the movie he's in. Sure, sure. You know, it also has Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Octavia Spencer. So I like Tom Holland, yeah. well, you know. I'm excited to see what he can bring to uh, the voice acting here because we've seen what he does with like Spider-Man, obviously, you know, so. And a score by Oscar winner Michael Dana. Yeah, yeah. I really feel like, though, I've been in a mixed relationship with Pixar, I think, ever since Toy Story 3, honestly. Like, I think their quality of content has just not been as consistent as it used to be. So I get a lot more skeptical whenever i go into their movies now hoping that it'll be good but not really to the level as they had in that you know their previous era and this one like it looks fine but honestly if i didn't see the pixar logo in front of it i probably wouldn't think this was a pixar movie i mean i I could make the argument josh that the best pixar movie since toy story 3 which was at the beginning of the decade in 2010 um is probably coco yeah and i I don't think anyone would argue with that I really like that movie, but to be honest with you, I have. But the thing with that is that that was a seven-year period, and they have films released every single year, you know. So it's like, and I love Inside Out um, as well. I'll also just throw that one out there. But it's like I look at this decade, and I say to myself, Inside Out, Coco, are like the two that really, really stand out, along with Toy Story three, obviously. And then you kind of have like Incredibles too. Um, I I was not as I was not that high, no. I did not like it at all. So I mean, I like it. I, I just wasn't as high on it as those other two. Like those other two, for example, like Inside Out and Coco, to me can go up alongside Wally up and like the all-time Pixar greats. You know what I mean? Um, but then again, also when it comes to Pixar, I feel like if you ask someone to rank like the Pixar filmography, it's like Quentin Tarantino filmography. The answers are going to be like all over the place because there's a degree of quality in almost all of them quote unquote almost yeah but they're, they're going to be all over the place but i feel like everybody's top 10 is going to be movies from 2010 and earlier i don't think there's a lot outside of coco and inside out like you said that 
in this new era, I don't really feel like there's a lot there that people have a lot of passion for. Sure. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's oh, what you're I, I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That. That's just how <laughs> Okay, uh, what I want to do now is I want to uh, transition over uh, to the polls. I want to talk about, uh, for last week, uh, we asked everyone which is their favorite Ang Lee film. All right. Speaking of all over the place filmography, right? This is a guy who's mm. done so many different genres. Every single film he does is different than the last one. You never quite know what you're going to get with him, to quote Forrest Gump. So with Ang Lee, uh, he released Gemini Man last week. We do have a uh, top five uh, over here in terms of what people think are his best movies. I'm going to list those off now. But before I do, Michael, you have a favorite Ang Lee film? Oh, Brokeback Mountain, without a doubt. Josh Parm? Yeah, I'm going to say Brokeback. Tom? Brokeback for me, but God, I love A Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Casey? Brokeback. I am on the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon train, but my God, is it close. That's a really, really tough yeah. one. Very, very close between those two. All right, so at number five, best Ang Lee film, favorite Ang Lee film, Number five is Sense and Sensibility. Glad that made the top five. Which I have not seen in a good number of years, and I need to revisit that. I keep forgetting he made that. Yeah. That's what I mean, right? It's like you look at his filmography and you're like, Ang Lee made that? <laughs> <laughs> was that his English language debut? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because that was before The Ice Storm. Number four is The Ice Storm. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> oh, that's such a good movie. And by the way, I know we're 22 years removed from the ice storm, but can we just say justice for Sigourney Weaver, who should have been Oscar nominated for that? Surely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. oh wow. Wait a minute, guys, guys. Oh, I spoke a little too soon there. Oh. Uh, I didn't realize this. So ice storm and sense of sensibility are actually tied for fourth place. Oh, so good. hold on, hold on. I I, I should have I didn't read the numbers correctly. Um, so those two are tied for fourth place. Fifth place, right below them, is Lust Caution. Oh wow, that's such a good movie. Yeah, that's a very. I think if any movie in his filmography is quote unquote underrated, I think it's that one. Yeah, I have not seen that one. Yeah, yeah, just as a just as a box office trivia thing, prior to Parasite. Lust Caution had the highest per theater average for a foreign language film. Wasn't that his follow-up to Brokeback Mountain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 2007, I think it was. Yeah, that would make sense then. Number three is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Hmm. Mm. I actually mm. thought that was going to be in the top two. Number two is Life of Pi. Oh, one of the best uses of 3D ever. Agreed. I... I, I'm still not a big fan of the movie. Yeah. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. 
You know what? I'm actually not really either. It looks incredible. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think there's just something in the adaptation of that story that just didn't really translate that well to the screen for me. I just... And I don't, I don't want to sound disrespectful or anything like that, but I, I just thought the whole like religious aspect of it was a little too heavy for me. Um, and they like they really, really pushed that in the uh, screenplay. And I, I, I'm, I'm keen to revisit it anyway. Uh, number one is, of course, Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I read an interview with him this past week for Gemini Man, of course, and I guess I never really put it together that either Ang Lee has changed in recent years or has never been the person I thought he was. Because he was talking about how he's doing movies like Gemini Man and only wants to work with this 120 uh, frame rate. And then they were asking him about, oh, would he ever go back to do a movie like The Ice Storm or Sense and Sensibility or Brockback Mountain? And he said in this interview that he felt like he was a director for hire doing those movies and that his real passion lies in doing stuff like Gemini Man and Billy Lynn. Which just really threw me for a loop. Yeah. What what that says to me is that he is a filmmaker that is more, um, he gets bored probably very easily and he gets excited by new technology the same way James Cameron gets excited by technology. You know what I mean? It's just so crazy to think that he considers Brokeback Mountain a for hire project, yet that movie is one of the best directed films I've ever seen. Oh yeah, I so remember him. That's giving... him working on it like autopilot. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I, I just don't get it if he thinks like that. I remember him giving an interview once and saying that he like watched a clip of Brokeback and he said, oh, I look at that movie. I just think it's so boring. I kind of want to just fall asleep while I'm watching it. And it's like, really? <laughs> Your greatest movie you think is boring. OK. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. And now uh, for this week's poll uh, for the limited release of The Lighthouse. And, you know, quite honestly, because we should be asking these types of questions a little bit more as we get closer to the end of the year. Uh, we're asking everyone which is their favorite black and white film of the decade. So tied to The Lighthouse, tied specifically to black and white, but also because, hey, listen, we got to talk about the end of the decade at some point. Might as well start working them into the polls, right? So... Favorite black and white film of the decade choices uh, include films such as Embrace of the Serpent, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, The Artist, Ida, Cold War, Francis Ha, Roma, Nebraska, The Eyes of My Mother. Guys, black and white films. What do we think? That, That list is just quality personified. I mean... I'm a sucker for black and white. I'm not going to deny it. I am. If I see like a black and white movie, I'm just like, oh my God, it's gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely tend to really gravitate towards uh, black and white films and especially because they're so rare. They're so rare. They they like, I wish more films were made this way nowadays, you know? And I know that this might sound like recency bias, uh, but I don't care. For me personally... The Lighthouse is my favorite black and white movie this decade. Wow. I think that that movie is completely 100% out of its mind, bonkers, off the wall, nuts. And I love it for that. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I want to see it so badly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, The Witch had some of that sensibility to it. Oh, no, 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 no. This is like... No? Dude, when I tell you that this is probably like David Lynch's favorite film of the year, I'm not kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. oh my <laughs> uh it, it it's it's pretty wild trust me i, I was 
I was transfixed by it the whole time. Um, it is definitely not everyone's cup of tea, though. That's for sure. Um, there are some things in this that are just like, whoa. <laughs> um, obviously, Roma is going to be a huge favorite amongst a lot of people. Um, anyone yeah. here count that movie uh, as their favorite? I'm so torn between Roma and Francis Ha of like my two different sensibilities. Because <sighs> Roma was my favorite movie of last year and I've seen it multiple times but i feel like my heart keeps telling me to go francis ha maybe because i've been on that kind of kick lately no that's what i would say i would say yeah it's not about what was the best one it's what's your favorite yeah here casey i think you should go with francis ha because i was having a really tough time deciding between francis ha and nebraska both of which are very high up on my best of the decade list which i've been putting together for release at the end of the year and just as a little giveaway on this list, you know, both are right there in like the top 25. But I'm looking at that list now and Nebraska does have the edge for me. So if I pick Nebraska, I'll feel better if you pick Francis Ha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of think that the use of light and shadow is 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 uh, more more artist, artistically done in, in um, Cold War. Yeah, I think Cold War is beautiful. That's a beauty. And and you stop and think there there were two Best Director nominees of black and white films last year. Which is so, so cool. Oh, I love it. Yeah, the look and style of Cold War is undeniable. I just, you know, couldn't really get with that movie as much. But there's no denying the cinematography there. I wanted to say for the record, replace uh, Adam McKay with Barry Jenkins for Beale Street Could Talk. And you have one of the best director lineups of the decade. <laughs> Easily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Easily. Still with people missing out. You know, we talk about how good that lineup would have been, but then you still have Damien Chazelle and Bradley Cooper on the outside looking in. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, anyone not answer? Josh, did you answer? Uh, well, when I look at this list, I do feel like I kind of have to be boring and say Roma. I feel, really do feel like the cinematography in that film really adds a lot to the storytelling, and the black and white especially adds to it. Uh, but I do want to mention one other film that isn't on this list that came out this decade that I really did like, which is another foreign film, actually another foreign film from Mexico called Gueros. And this movie came out in 2015, and it's also shot in black and white. And I think the imagery in that film is astounding. It has a, also like some dreamlike quality to it, but very stark in its imagery. And I think that movie is really, really good. And I always encourage more people to check it out specifically because the cinematography is so, so great in it. Well, I certainly encourage people to check out the polls on nextbestpicture.com and cast a vote on there. Uh, You can do so until the end of the week. And also, too, at the end of the week, you can also vote on our poll for our Halloween Horror Masterpiece uh, Patreon podcast review. Uh, There is a list of all-time great horror movies. One of those is going to win the poll, and we will review it on the podcast just in time for Halloween this year. So you have until the end of the week to do so. Head on over to the polls page, cast a vote. Hi, guys. I'm Dane. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the IMDb Journey podcast. Where we break down every movie from the top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. But when we're not doing that, we also battle other podcasts in various movie-related games of trivia and drafts. We also give quick reviews about every other film we've watched as well. Yeah, here we're quite good too. Yeah, if you guys don't believe us, why don't you listen to these genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, you guys are really good. I love your chemistry. Oh, hey, Brew, it's uh, this is a this is a good podcast, yo. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, love the banter, guys. Keep it up. I'm DB Jenny. Is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic testimonies. Oh, thanks, guys. Absolutely genuine and real. <laughs> and if you want to give a genuine testimony as well, go ahead and search for IMDb Journey. You can find us on all your favorite podcast sites, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So come along and join our journey. Okay, and now just kind of continuing also uh, from what we were talking about before with the international uh, feature category, which is obviously just being dominated by Parasite at the moment. Um, I wanted to also uh, talk about documentary uh, feature. Uh, We touched upon animated feature. Uh, So where do things uh, currently stand with documentary feature at the moment? I mean, I want to predict a snub of like something that's going to be extremely popular <laughs> because that's just like per the norm with this category over the last couple of years. But for the life of me, I don't know which film that is quite yet. Um, I think Apollo it's 11. one of two that makes, uh, or the misses the cut there. You, you were just about to say it. Apollo 11 is the one. And do you know what the other one is? Uh, Neon's other film, the biggest little farm. Bingo. Yeah. Yep. Poor neon. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to win international feature. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so I was talking with uh, some people over at Netflix, and they're obviously giving American Factory uh, a huge push. That is their pony. That is the one that they are going with this year. Has anyone here seen it yet? I have. It's it's really worth it. Uh, it's really it's, it's fascinating personality wise and also culturally. Yeah. I, I I agree with you on that, um, and I definitely think it has a pretty good shot this year. Um, another documentary, though, that's coming out this week, actually, that I had the chance to see uh, from Netflix that I think is a little underrated, and it kind of has that, like, Three Identical Strangers kind of a vibe to it where it's like you really don't want to know about it heading into it is uh, Tell Me Who I Am. Ooh. And I don't, I don't want to say anything about it. I really don't. I just want to just say for the record, it'll be on Netflix uh, this Friday. And um, I highly recommend that you guys check it out and try to go into it knowing as little as humanly possible about it. Because I do think it could be a sleeper uh, contender for Netflix this year, potentially. Um, right now, I'm predicting Maiden to win documentary feature. Well, it's, it's, that's such a positive film. And I, I can see people embracing it. Uh, and it's it's not it's not cutting edge, but it's fascinating how much um, archival footage they have of this maiden voyage around the world. That's the thing they're they're sailing around the world on these boats in some of the most dangerous weather conditions you can possibly imagine on open waters. There's you know storms, there's huge waves, there's like ice and like you know all this crazy stuff happening, and they caught all of that on film. They, like they got all yeah. that. It, it's wild. And then that's what I have for the win. Right. And, and Sony's pictures classic. It made a lot of money. It's this feel good movie. And I think it's only hurdle will be getting the nomination. If it gets that, I think it's pretty good to go forward. Now, in terms of just like access, what do you guys think about the edge of democracy? I, good for I, a nomination. I, yeah, I think it's a very strong film. And they usually have at least one or two really political films in the mix. And that would probably be my choice of, of all the contenders in terms of the political slot. And then uh, other than that, I mean, Did we mentioned the cave. Yeah. Nat Geo uh, came off of a win last year with Free Solo. This year, their big one is the cave. Um, it's from the director of Last Man in Aleppo. And um, I had the chance to see it. Um, and it is completely, completely harrowing. Um, it's very upsetting. And uh, it's but it's very important, though, uh, for obvious reasons. And I, I did talk to a couple of people that thought it was a little gratuitous and that they were like, I didn't really need to see, you know, uh, children 
um, you know, in the aftermath of a chemical attack and have the camera linger on it for so long. Like, I got the point. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't need to yeah. hammer it into me. Um, but that's but that is what the movie does. And it really does. Uh, it is a call to action movie. So obviously help uh, the Syrian crisis and uh, do whatever you can. Um, but it's also told from the point of view of um, the hospital uh, manager who was a woman who is also not only just trying to organize everything and save everyone's lives, but she's having to contend with a bunch of men telling her that she is not good at her job because she's a woman. So there's a lot of interesting elements going on in this movie that um, I definitely think is uh, it's in a good slot for a nomination. That's for sure. I just don't know about the win. Yeah, I'm a little little hesitant there. That's going to be a little on you know that's the, the subject matter is a little on the tough side. Um, one thing I would I would also bring to people's attention because it's actually going to be on Amazon Prime starting beginning of November is the doc of One Child Nation about China. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that one's gotten a big, big push almost the entire year, uh, pretty much. And so I, I think that one and uh, what was the other one I was thinking of? Honeyland. Honeyland. Those Would two you- have been pushed all year. Like I've gotten emails about those literally from the beginning of the year since like time around Sundance and it just hasn't stopped. <laughs> it's interesting that Honeyland is also the North Macedonia entry in Best foreign language, best international. Film. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> oh, I would love that. It's like imagine if like Weathering with You got like into animated, um, and then like Honey or no, actually let me rephrase that. If Weathering with You, which is an animated film, got into international along with Honeyland, which is also a documentary that got into international, like it would be so cool to have such variety in that category, you know? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, for folks, Weathering with You is the official Japanese entry. Right. Uh, and then beyond that, obviously, I w- you know, we talked about Apollo 11 and the biggest little farm. Uh, those two are the populist contenders that uh, Neon has had uh, this year. And yeah, it's very, very conceivable that one of those will miss. Yeah. Yeah. A- and I think it's going to be Apollo 11. I think it is. Apollo 11 feels very much like the movie that'll miss that is popular, but it's. The movie is almost all uh, archival footage, and that makes me very nervous to predict something to get nominated when it relies on that much archival footage, as we saw with Jane a couple years ago. Yeah, right. This this, this branch has a real prejudice against archival footage, and, but I think that the archival footage in Maiden is different because it was shot personally. It wasn't standard archival footage. And that movie also mixes it up with interviews with the people today reflecting back you know apollo 11 is just we're looking at this event completely through the footage that was taken of uh around that time and i think that is what is going to hurt it with that branch okay so what i want to do uh now is i want to talk about uh one final trailer uh for this week's show um it is a trailer for uh jungle cruise starring Dwayne rock johnson and emily blunt uh this one is going to be dropping uh next year uh, it's definitely going to be a uh, you know a large blockbuster film from Disney, in the vein of something like uh, you know they're trying to recapture I guess lightning in a bottle with Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, let's take a look. Let's give some thoughts. Legend has it there is a tree in the Amazon that possesses unparalleled healing powers, and the arrowhead is the key to unlocking it. Stop her! Hello. Uh, just wanted you to know this has been mislabeled. Hey! 
outlets? Of all the jungle cruises you can take in the Amazon, this one is undoubtedly the cheapest. But also the most thrilling. Heads up, coming through. Look out! Marauders. Natives. Ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've all been waiting for. The backside of water. It's the eighth wonder of the world. We're headed up river to Lagrimas de Cristal. We must secure our travel. Come on. Hello? Not a good time. My brother and I are looking for passage up river. Please go away. I have a lot of money. If you believe in legends, you should believe in curses, too. You're gonna beg me to turn back. Well, I look forward to disappointing you. 10,000 to bring you there alive. Dead is 15,000. Why should I pay more dead? Dead, I'd have to carry you. Dead's a lot harder, lady. Here we go. Oh, God, sorry, Frank. Sorry, strong form. I cannot swim. You booked a river cruise and you can't swim? The price just went up. Well, it, it looks like the African queen. Wait, the African, like queen? The African queen? Yeah, for queen, for kids. <laughs> that is such like that. I feel like that is such like a deep cut reference in terms of just like, hey, kids, you know, when I was when I was young, actually, no, before my time, <laughs> there was something called the African queen. Well, I mean, uh, Dwayne Johnson even has the outfit that Humphrey Bogart wore in that movie. Yeah, I, I, I think like, yeah, if I was going to. Uh, say okay like what is jungle cruise uh it's jungle cruise basically it's the african queen meets pirates of the caribbean or the mummy but less horror it's like that like like that swashbuckling adventure type movie you know what i mean yeah, yeah here's the thing as the as the disney park specialist on the panel here <laughs> um, i rode this ride last week so i have <laughs> i this ride's like silly and fun and kind of weird and this just makes it into like a generic blockbuster reaction movie, which I, I get that they're trying to sell it. And I get that as a Disney parks fan, I'm always going to be disappointed, but I wanted it to be more fun. And it also has this glossy lighting to it that never looks natural in any way that took me out of it. Every, every single shot of this trailer. And I feel like it'll be perfectly fine because I like these people, but I'm just like, oh, I feel like there's so much more that you could do with a jungle cruise movie. That's just, you know, making it serious action movie is kind of weird, but yeah, somehow- I'm on board for Emily Blunt yeah. and Dwayne Johnson, of course, and Paul Giamatti. I think it's playing some sort of villain. Listen, if Paul Giamatti's in it, I have to see it. You know, yeah. I, I, I got to go. Giamatti and Jesse Plemons. Oh, and God. Edgar Ramirez then, are the villains. Then we are there. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason to seek this out, even if it's not going to be great. You know, it's coming. It could out just be fun. You know, the end of yeah. July. Yeah, July 2020, you know, I think we could all use this. I think Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson are a good um, pairing of chemistry, um, potentially, between the two of them. You know, they're both very charismatic, and they uh, um, both, I think, are extremely capable of carrying this kind of a movie for obvious reasons. Um, 
seeing Dwayne Johnson just in this kind of a setting reminds me a little bit too much of Jumanji. It almost feels like a repeat yeah. a little bit in, uh, uh, too much. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I'll take Emily Blunt over Kevin Hart any day. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, though, um, there is a curiosity in regards to. Um, Kind of just having, like I said before, like a Indiana Jones, Pirates of the Caribbean, just kind of action adventure type movie that is done well, you know. So if it is done well, I'm sure it'll it'll do great, you know what I mean. But if it's uh, kind of lame, kind of tame, um, just more of the same, my God, I did not expect to do a Dr. Yes. Seuss there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then you know, gonna find I could not, would not, not in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up now. Guys. Oh my god. Uh, the trailer for Doolittle, uh, starring Robert Downey Jr., just dropped uh online as we're recording this right now. Do you guys want to watch this at the same time? We'll synchronize play and we'll give like a live live reaction. Oh my god. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. This like never really happens. Let's try this. Oh, I'm gonna open it up on my YouTube right now. I'm gonna sing uh, if I could talk to the animals. Oh, Rex Harrison style. All right, guys, let me know when you all have it up and uh, make sure it's obviously at the very, very beginning and have your cursor over play. Yeah, when you're done, look at the budget on this movie and just be like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a Dr. Doolittle movie, so it makes sense. (laughs) I mean, yeah. All right. All right, tell me when. Okay. I'm good. Michael, you're good. Tom, you're good. I'm good. Josh, you're good. Yep. Casey? Yes. All right. We're going to do it. Three, two, one, play. All right. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. Yep. If I get a YouTube ad beforehand. And you click you click on play. Okay. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one, play. I see. Yeah, I can already tell the budget is big. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. They're starting off with this song. Uh-oh. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland at the beginning of your trailer is not what you want. <laughs> Uh, we're getting better. Okay. And I think to myself. Are you Dr. Doolittle? No, I'm Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, they're really su- uh, selling the scale of this movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. What is that accent that he's doing? The Sherlock Holmes accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, a Life of Pi reference. Great. A cameo from Planet of the Apes. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, my It's okay to be scared. Oh, that Oh my god. <laughs> Somehow, we just belong together. Yes, I think to myself. Oh, what a wonder. It's like a searcher's ending shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. <sighs> Oh my god, this cast. Sheesh. Well, they're probably all voices, most of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. From the director um, of Syriana. I know. 
they didn't uh, include that in the uh, titles. Um, all right. So, wow. Okay. Um, I, I like, I listen, I like the song choice. Um, the movie looks like it has an impressive amount of scale, visual effects, um, combining elements of like, you know, uh, the jungle book to a certain degree, um, in terms of the visual effects of its creatures. Um, I'm not really feeling, uh, whatever the performance that Downey is doing here. And I mean, I mean, guys, we're all thinking it right now, a January release for this, that just, that, that just screams disaster. Yeah, I mean, it, everyone it, it, go back and read Mark Harris's book, Pictures at a Revolution. Absolutely, yeah, love, yeah, love. and just you know, just look at the Doctor Doolittle section alone. Everything with that film involved. Go watch the clip of him throwing a seal off a cliff. I mean, that is just. <laughs> this, yeah, but this that, has I will say this: I'm glad story. that it's like going back to that, and it's not like a retelling of like the Eddie Murphy version, for example. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a legitimately funny movie. Yeah. The 98 Dr. Doolittle. Like that's, you know, I think the one-off compared to w- what we see with this and then the Rex Harrison one. It seems like every time they try to adapt Dr. Doolittle, it turns into a disaster. Unless you're doing it co- in a contemporary setting, then it turns into like a pretty fun comedy. Mm-hmm. Except when they try to do Dr. Doolittle 2, then it's not that great. <laughs> oh boy. No, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, box office wise, I think it might provide a big big alternative during january but yeah uh, it really does seem like they're throwing this away but yeah, still even in it's... january they're gonna have star wars and jumanji taking up the family audience still so i don't know if they're gonna want to go out to this yeah and that budget man oof. oh uh, yeah knowing the amount of money they spent on this movie to get a january release that does not spell a lot of confidence to me well yeah they but it could be good it. counter-programming now it could yeah and then so they just since, the title like last week or something. Was that when they? It was. It used to be like the voyage of Doctor Doolittle. Now it's just Doolittle. Yeah. Which made me think of Pan. Uh, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> I now need to check and see if I'm gonna be away uh, at Sundance when this happens. Uh, <laughs> when it happens. When it happens. <laughs> yeah, because the release date is the 17th of January. Oh no no no! That'll be right before I leave. Damn it. <laughs> So you have this coming right after cats. That's going to be a lot of talking animals. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, listen, I didn't think that trailer was actually like a bad trailer. Um, Like I said, I think the song choice actually helped a lot. Um, And I really did like that they took the lyrics and kind of like tried to at least apply it to what was happening on screen there. Um, But at the same time, like, let's put it this way. If this wasn't a January release and this was uh, like a spring release or even a summer release, my uh, perception of it would be immediately different. Um, but as is, I'm looking for flaws in this already. And I can already kind of almost guarantee that they're probably there because why in God's name do you take a film with a budget this high with a star's bankable as Robert Downey Jr. and drop it in January? Like I said, unless if you want to just devour the competition because you know that during that time of year, people aren't really going to the movies to see new releases that much anyway. Uh, I, I just can't think of any other reason. Yeah, I'm not reading so much into January because this was originally set for, uh, I think, uh, July of this past summer, but it wasn't ready yet, so they pushed it to January. But there's no other time next year to really release it because you have a Pixar movie in March, a Marvel movie in May, and then it just gets busier and busier from there on out. Yeah. The other thing that I think about is, you know, Matt, you mentioned why 
drop all this money and Robert Downey Jr. and all these elements into a movie releasing in January. I also think about why drop all those things into a Dr. Doolittle movie, <laughs> which there's yeah. never been a good, really a good Dr. Doolittle movie. That's my big thing. It's like, why is, why is so much attention and resources being put into a movie that has a very noted history of not really turning out that well? Because for kids, seeing Iron Man talk to animals is like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, him talking to John Cena as a parrot. Is that what that was? Is that really John Cena's playing? It must it? be like Ronnie the most Alex? buff parrot on the face of the planet. Yeah, yeah. John. Uh, no, John Cena is the polar bear. Marion oh. Coulthard oh, okay. is a fox. Yeah. Carmen uh, Hugo is a lion. Ray Fiennes is a tiger. Selena Gomez is a giraffe. Tom Holland is a dog. Rami Malek as an anxious gorilla. Camille uh, <laughs> Nagiani as a cynical ostrich. And Craig Robinson as a mouse. Wow. Oh, wait. Octavia Spencer as a duck. Emma Thompson as a parrot. And Francis de la Tour as Ginkgo who soars. <laughs> this sounds yeah. like, a, like a dress up party. <laughs> yeah. Well, it apparently it had gone through about 21 days of reshoots in April. And, Which is uh, not uncommon for a big budget film. Not uncommon. No, but then, yeah. So they, then they brought in a more new material and, and things like that because it was. Uh, you know, the early release date in 2019 was just not going to be met. Apparently, Jesse Buckley is playing Queen Victoria, so happy she's getting a good paycheck. Uh- <laughs> I wanted to say for the record um, that in the future, if another trailer like happens to drop like during a podcast recording and we're, we are aware of it, uh, we should do my, more live trailer reactions. Uh, <laughs> that was fun. Um but yeah, now what I want to do at this point uh, is we'll we'll push off the turning trailer reaction, obviously, uh, because Doolittle just dropped. Uh, we'll finish it off with fan questions here. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, HLVD Movies asks, with bombshell screenings coming up, what is your current prediction for how the film will do this award season? They are about to start a big push for that movie, apparently. I think it's this Tuesday or next Tuesday. Charlize, Nicole, and Margot are all going on Ellen. Oh, no, it's this week. Yeah, we should be getting a trailer this week. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I think they're really going to start doing the press tour for this movie. Uh, Will Mavity, our friend Will Mavity, posted on Twitter that they're doing FYCs and they're only pushing those three ladies and John Lithgow. Which makes a, a ton of sense. And we also yeah. now know that Charlize Theron will be campaigned in lead, uh, which, once again, I think now if that's true, um, I think Margot Robbie, if the film turns out to be really great and she's fantastic, I would see I could see a world where she gets nominated maybe for this over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and supporting. Mm, it could I be. I, we just don't know what the role is because it's a fictional character in this movie. Of course, yeah. of course. But like I, I'm saying this because if the if the role is more substantial and gives her more to do and she knocks it out of the park, that's my that's my basis for the argument there. Yeah. I mean, because with Once Upon a Time, she's in an Oscar favorite. And we know that going in. Uh, it depends on the quality of the film here. Well, my guess with Bombshell is that it's going to be good, not great in terms of awards. I don't expect it to be an across-the-board yeah. contender, but I expect uh, acting nominations. I do have the makeup uh, prediction, as most of us do right now. Yep. Um, and beyond that, I mean, you know, there's a really real chance that John Lithgow could, you know, put himself in the supporting actor uh, category. Which, oh, for sure. My God, that, that category cannot afford to have any more people thrown into it at this point. <laughs> and outside of just those four people being campaigned, I'm looking at the rest of the cast for this movie. There were people I didn't even know were part of this movie. You go, after those four, Kate McKinnon, Connie Britton, Mark Duplass, Rob Delaney, 
Malcolm McDowell, Allison Janney, Alice Eve. Uh, who else do we have? Anna O'Reilly, Stephen Root, Andy Buckley, Robin Weigert. It's huge. And, you know, credit to Jay Roach. He's been around for 25 years, just about. And you look at the list of actors who have worked with him over that course of time. It's remarkable. Yeah, no, absolutely. The guy just hasn't had, uh, you know, good success necessarily in terms of Oscar other than uh, Trumbo for Brian Cranston, you know, with nominations. And that's the uh, that's my biggest hold up here uh, for now. Um, we'll see. You know, it, it could be could be a big thing. Uh, there's a chance it could bomb. No, no, you know, pun intended. Uh, we'll <laughs> we'll wait and see what the trailer uh, provides us, you know, and we'll go from there and we'll talk about it next week, obviously. Uh, speaking of Best Supporting Actor, David Mitchell Baker asks, uh, with Best Supporting Actor seemingly being a bloodbath of veterans this year, who does everyone have winning at the moment? Uh, I still have Brad Pitt right now. I've toyed with everyone at one point or another, but I've gone back to Brad Pitt after thinking about it. I recently moved over to Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Now, yeah. Matt, like every- can I ask you a question about that? Yep. Do you have a beautiful day in your na- in the neighborhood in your best picture lineup? I do. Okay, I'm just making sure about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, but it, I'm, I am impressed how uh, people are still talking about Brad Pitt. Yeah. So many months later, I, I think that there may be. I think I had asked for help a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But his non-campaigning campaigning is it may be paying off. I feel like everybody in there, there's some like contrarian thing that I have about picking them for a win. And there's also so many people that I'm kind of in this way. I think I have on the site, I have Al Pacino right now, but then I think Joe Pesci can counter that for him. Um, Tom Hanks, I feel like his Oscar success in recent years has been not good. So I don't know about that. And then Brad Pitt, I'm like, but it's not even his best performance this year. So I don't like, I feel like I'm in this holding pattern of everything that it's kind of just like, I don't know, but I also feel like with all of these great people, I think we all win, whoever wins. So yeah, I don't know. it's true. That's why part of the reason why I was going with Sterling K. Brown for a little while there, be, yeah. because he was like the only person amongst my predicted nominees that hadn't won before. And in a situation where it's like you have reasons to vote for everyone, why not go with the person who um, hasn't had that chance yet to kind of bask in that glory in the spotlight? And I don't know. Maybe there might be a resurgence for Waves um, when it does release, and A24 might uh, push it hard. You know, we got to wait and see what happens. But I do think that that film has taken quite a nosedive since its last screening at TIFF. Although um, at other film festivals over the last couple of days, more regional film festivals, um, it seems to be getting quite a very positive reaction from people. So I I don't know. I I don't know what's going on there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So now, uh, next question. Scott Kernan asks, uh, which films do you see getting lone screenplay nominations in which the film might be a major critical favorite, but at the end of the day, it is simply a screenplay nominee? Which films do you see possible being that for both original and adapted? Waves. The Farewell. The Farewell, I'm, I'm yeah, afraid. <sighs> Kills that me to say The awful. Farewell, but yeah. Mm. Those are going in uh, original. Yes. So is there, does anyone have anything uh, lone and adapted? No, my five and adapted are all uh, picture contenders. I have the two popes, Jojo Rabbit, Irishman, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and Little Women. See, yeah. same. See, I don't. I see two popes is the only one I could see being like price and screenplay and no picture. But I don't have anything in adapted as just a screenplay and no other yeah. nominations anywhere yeah. else. You know what I mean? 
Um, I think the only one that fits the bill in that is the fair, uh, the farewell for me right now. Um, even Waves, I, I think it has a better chance of getting Brown in than a lone screenplay nomination. Yeah. Oh, what about Queen and Slim for screenplay? I have heard, and I mean, I'll, I'll know a little bit more of this week. I'm seeing it this week. I have heard that that uh, screenplay is a, not a mess, but I, I've just heard that some people have uh, issue with it. Divisive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I really want the farewell to be a best picture actress, supporting actress too. contender so badly. <laughs> uh, yeah. It really just breaks my heart that that's probably going to just be in for screenplay. Yeah, it, it it does remind me of the big sick in that sort of way. Remember, yeah. we remember we thought like picture Holly Hunter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still have Aquafina and Chauzes in 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 acting. Me too. I'm, yeah, but I don't know how long that's going to last. Well, it depends on what A twenty four decides to do between it and Waves. That that's the that's the key, I think. It depends on what A24 decides to campaign or are they going to do what they did last year and not campaign at all? <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. We see how well that worked out. Yeah. So uh, Dangle B uh, asks, what is your biggest no guts, no glory Oscar pick for a nomination at this very moment? Is anybody going out on a limb anywhere? Um, I, I don't know how out of a limb this is, but I have us in makeup. That's a good one. Because I think that there's some interesting stuff with the tethered there, and I think that I think they could easily make the shortlist, and I think could have an interesting bake off with that stuff. In addition to the like gore, not really gore makeup, but like you know, blood and what an injury stuff. So I don't know. That one's one that I'm like, if I'm gonna see it anywhere, I think that of the text, I think that one could play an interesting thing there. Uh, yeah, I talked about. Awesome. Oh, go on, go on. Uh, I've talked about this before, but I am trying out what an Ian McKellen nomination in Best Actor looks like for The Good Liar. Uh, I have no idea how that movie's going to land, but, you know, at this stage, I'm like, oh, let's just put him in the five. Let's just see how it is. No, I, I like that, Josh. I saw you had that the other day, and I was like, hey, you know, it's still early enough. Let's see what happens, you know? I'm not the only one predicting this, uh, but it's definitely on the low end uh, right now. Um I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire could really get a cinematography nomination. Oh, that's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So if you guys are all saying it's possible, then I guess it's not a good no guts, no glory. Um, no, it still works. I am the I, – okay. I just double-checked this. I'm the only person right now on the website that's currently predicting Paul Walter Hauser and Best Actor for Richard Jewell. I would say that's yeah, no, that'd guts, be no, no guts, no glory, yeah. 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 Over in acting, I have one for actors. I don't know how much of a limit is, but – I don't have Cynthia Erivo in for Best Actress. Oh, I believe me, I think that that's becoming more and more of a possibility. Yeah, yeah. I, I have Alfred Woodard for Clemency. I think Cynthia Erivo missing in the song uh, getting in is a. I, I, I just based on Oscar like uh, history and just uh, recent trends over the last like decade and stuff, I could see like the song getting a nomination, and, and that's it. What surprises me is that this is a film from Focus Features, but it's not doing a plat- platform release. It's going wide on November first. Mm. And I don't think it's going to stick around very long after that. So we'll see. I mean, remember they had a boy erased last year and that just went nowhere. It was gone by Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the same weekend that it opened. So we'll see over in visual effects though. I have Alita battle angel getting in. That's not a bad choice. Uh, that's not bad. I, I saw you do that and um, I immediately raised an eyebrow and I was like, yep, I could I could totally see that because in VFX, there's usually one, maybe two where it's like, 
I wouldn't expect them to go for that as far as like an Oscar movie is concerned, but they clearly it's a visual effects branch selection, you know? And it's not going to be Gemini Man. It's not going to be Cats. It's not going to be the Aeronauts. So maybe it's 1917 instead if there's a lot of work there. But I think Alita really fits the bill for what that branch likes to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, last question here. Uh, this one comes from Isaiah Washington. Speaking of visual effects, and maybe this opens up a broader conversation here, but he asks, can Star Wars finally win visual effects? I think it can this year. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's going to be that versus the Irishman. I'm going to go with no, but it does make me wonder in much of the same way where like Avengers Endgame, a lot of people are starting to like ask themselves like outside of visual effects, could Avengers Endgame like contend elsewhere? Um, it seems like that movie was released maybe a little bit too early in the year um, for it to like have time now to kind of like, you know, fade a little bit. But Star Wars releasing at the tail end, um, you know, I, I haven't predicted for a lot right now. I haven't predicted, I think, for visual effects, makeup, both sounds, original score. Um, you know, that's five right yeah. there. Yeah. The, but the they, problem, I think the problem that Star Wars faces a lot, though, now is it's a little bit too well known. And I think people look at the Star Wars movies and feel like, yeah, those effects are good. But they're kind of the same visual effects that we've seen in all the other movies. And it's hard for it to stand out, I think, for a win at this point. Nominations, yeah, it gets nominated all the time. But I feel like when people are voting for a winner, they are looking for something really unique. And I don't think Star Wars really does that anymore. I, I, I agree, Josh. And I, I found that the uh, looking back at the visual effects winners, they rarely go back to a familiar franchise. Yeah. So, I mean, with that said, um, you know, if you look at the Oscars uh, history as well over the last couple of years, um, they're, they're not going I, – I highly doubt they're going to reward Star Wars or Avengers Endgame. They're going to reward the Oscar film that has good visual effects. Mm-hmm. And what, that is why I still have The Irishman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Irishman to me, though, is one of those movies that it's either winning or it's not getting nominated. Like there's no in between for that film. Hmm. I hate this category. <laughs> I, really do. I don't know what to do with visual effects this year. I really, really hate it. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Okay. Let the, uh, let the truth fly. <laughs> I, well, it, it's just because there's so many contenders now that have something going for them, but also just don't feel like winners either. And I just really don't know what to do with it. Like, I'll be honest with you right now. I don't think this is going to win, but I have the aeronauts winning just because it's, I'm just sort of throwing my hands up and being like, I don't know, whatever, go ahead with it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've seen aeronauts and, um, if the film was better, I would say it has a better chance, but, uh, I, I, you know, it's very, very hard for me to argue against the fact that Irishman is probably going to be a top five best picture contender. (laughs) It's just really hard. Yeah. I think I'm also a little bit more skeptical on the Irishman's performance than you are. I think that's another thing for me. Oh, do you not have it leading in nominations on the morning? Uh, no, I do not. What do you have? 1917 or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood leading. Ooh. Okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Anybody got anything else to add before we go? Okay, cool. Michael, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Josh Parham? I'm on Twitter at jrparham. Casey Lee Clark? You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Tom O'Brien? And on Twitter, I am at 
Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 163 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. You can also lend over support at Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Next time.